Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships, so we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We've been talking about this uh, idea that I love my church, and we, we wanted to give four reasons uh, why we should love our church if we get these things right, if we get back to them, if we do them well. And so we've been looking at uh, filling in this blank of a church that blank. Uh, the first week, we talked about a church that rocks, and, and that was kind of a play on words. We were talking about the church I love is a church that's founded on the rock, that has its uh, basis on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone in Scripture. And then uh, the second week, we talked about a church that prays. And so we challenge you on a corporate level as well as an individual level. We had a prayer night. Uh, a lot of you showed up for that. It was an amazing night of just uh, spending some time in prayer together. And then the the individual prayer challenge was this thing that we call One Habit. If you weren't here for that week or if you don't know what it is, I want you to go ahead and, and partner with us in this. Uh, th this is how One Habit works. We commit ourselves to pray for that one person that God has called us to reach. We all have this out relationship. It's a fellow student, fellow coworker, a you know, family member, whatever it is for you, but it's somebody who doesn't know Christ that, that you have... Um, in your area of influence, uh, maybe it's a, a work circle or a family circle that you know that God has laid them on your heart to point them to Jesus by fostering a relationship with them. And so uh, we hope that whatever that person, whoever that person is, that you know exactly who they are. And then every day what we do is we set an alarm in our clock to go off at one o'clock. So every day we pray for them one time a day for one minute at one o'clock. That's one habit. That's all it is. And uh, if you haven't started that, please just set it in your phone today. And what we've done is we've set it for every day between now and December 23rd. And the reason we put December 23rd is because of if it's an out relationship, uh, we're, we're reaching them, we're trying to share with them Jesus Christ, we're fostering that relationship. But if nothing else comes out of this thing, we want you to be able to invite them to the Christmas program with you. It's one of the two times during the year where, you know, 99% of the people, if you ask them to come with you, they'll come with you. They're just waiting for an invite. And the reason we said the Christmas program is because we've decided that on the 23rd, during our Christmas programs, we're going to present a clear gospel message on that night. We're going to talk about why Jesus came, how much he loved us, and the fact that he came to give his life for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life with him. And so if nothing else, if you invite your out relationship to somebody who doesn't know Christ to come with you, they're going to hear about how much Jesus loves them. And so set that up, one habit. It's uh, one time a day for one minute at one o'clock. This last week, every time my alarm went off, I just kind of smiled because I'm thinking, man, I wonder how many people today are praying together exactly at the same time uh, for the people that are lost around them in hopes that our heart would break for the people around us that don't know Jesus Christ. And so uh, last week, we... Uh, we wrap things up last week with a church that gives. And so often when we talk about a church that gives, we're talking about this idea of, uh, you know, treasures of, of our money. And we focused mostly last week, not on the treasures, but on the time and talents, this idea of serving and, and not so much on the money. But we talked about just taking what God has given us, the giftedness, 
the way we're made up, our personalities, and plugging that into his body so that we might together have a greater impact for the kingdom. And so last week, if you were here, you took a survey called Find Your Fit, and we had a lot of fun with this last, uh, last week. How many of you took the survey last week? All right, quite a few of you. Good. Uh, if you were here, you filled out that survey, and then uh, depending on how you answered it, it took you in different directions, and you ended up with a color. And then that color corresponded to a table out in the lobby that had a whole bunch of different service opportunities for you. We had everyone go out in the lobby, and then they were all you know, signing up to get more information about certain areas. And, and I'll tell you, we had a great response last week. So thank you for, for taking part in that. Uh, we learned a lot of stuff last week. Uh, one of them was this, that not a lot of us are aware of what our spiritual gifts are. And so we're going to be covering that later on. That's just something as a pastor, it made me aware of that. Something we need to do better at uh, as far as equipping the saints, right? Of growing them up and teaching them what their spiritual gifts are, helping them discover that. And then the other thing that we found out, uh, I want to address here real quickly, uh, and I have to back up and go over the hikers to address it, all right? So um, this came out of the survey last week, and I want to make sure that we're communicating this clearly. Uh, if, if you haven't been around Mountain View Fellowship very long, you might not know this, but we liken spiritual growth to four different hikers. That's Mountain View Fellowship. We had to do the hiker thing, right? So it's this idea of backpackers. And so what we said is the very first stage of spiritual growth is what we call a day hiker. Uh, it's somebody who is just going out for a quick excursion, maybe a little bitty fanny packer backpack, uh, maybe even flip-flops. You know, it's just a quick run uh, out to check out nature. And we liken this when it comes to spiritual growth to somebody who doesn't know Christ yet. Like they're just checking things out. They're seeking. They're trying to figure out truth. They're trying to find out, what is there really a God? Uh, and if, if there is a God, does he even know who I am? And, and all these things. And so they're just checking into things right now. And we see this happening a lot with people that come through the doors. Uh, there's a lot of people that come through the doors who are hurting. There's a lot who are coming through, you know, just trying to figure out life. Uh, they've never really checked into uh, faith. And now, for whatever reason, they're, they're interested or they're, they're trying to find truth and they walk through the doors. That would be a day hiker. Uh, the next stage of spiritual growth is what we refer to as a backpacker. Now, a backpacker is somebody who has checked into truth. They, they've discovered who Jesus is. They came face to face with him. They've received him as their Lord and Savior. They've turned their life over, to, and then they're starting to walk with him. They're, they're getting into the word. They're getting into prayer. They're trying to, to learn what it means to be more like Christ every day, and so they're growing in their faith. That's a backpacker. Uh, this, the third stage is actually a stage we refer to as a guide. This is somebody who's been up and down the trail several times. They're pretty good with the terrain. They know it. Uh, they, they can, you know, weather a storm if it sets in. They've got enough stuff in their backpack to take care of themselves and maybe a couple other people to help them through the storms of life. And, and so this is what we would refer to as a worker. This is somebody who's received Christ. They're walking in that. They're serving. They're, they're utilizing their gifts. Uh, they're sharing their faith with the people around them. And uh, that's the third stage, which is a guide. The fourth spiritual stage, we liken to what we call a Sherpa. Uh, these are people who have been up and down the trail many times. They can do it with their eyes closed. They, they are uh, very, very uh, well-trained. They pack a ton of stuff uh, with them, not just for themselves, but mainly for other people. They're helping other people get up and down the trail. Now, when we liken it to the spiritual stage, I would say that this is a disciple-maker. This is somebody who is sharing their faith with the people around them. They've got a firm foundation in the word and, and on Jesus Christ. 
they can help point people to Jesus. They, they are evangelizing, but they're also intentionally and actively discipling people. Like they're walking with people to teach them how to be more like Christ every day. And this is the fourth stage. It's called the Sherpa. Now, the reason I tell you all that and bring it up is because what, uh, what came to light last week during the survey is that we found out hardly anybody marked that they were a Sherpa. And, and that told me that maybe I'm overselling the Sherpa thing and that many people are looking at that and going, well, that's definitely not me. And I want to let you know that I believe that we have a lot of Sherpas in this church. I believe we do. People who are actively sharing their faith with the people around them who are discipling others. And, and I want to clear this up and make sure that you're aware of this. A Sherpa is not perfect by any means. They struggle with their own stuff. They still have their own temptations. They're still jacked up just like the rest of us. They're just further along in their walk, and they are actively living out this life that God has called us to. Now, there is a fifth stage, and that would be that, that, perfected, uh, that perfected image of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to reach that until we die and we appear, all right? Are you with me? Like, we, we won't arrive until we arrive. And so that stage is the one that, yeah, that's out of reach. That one's not for us until we get there. But there are many Sherpas in our congregation right now. And uh, what I love about it, though, is maybe, and I was hoping this was the case, because one of the big characteristics of a Sherpa is humility. And they probably wouldn't see themselves as Sherpas. And so maybe that's what it is. I'm hoping it is. But I just wanted to make sure that we're very clear on that, that this stage is the one that we're, we're hoping everyone can get to, this idea that we're actively living out this life that Jesus has for us. We're evangelizing the world around us, and we're discipling the people that God has placed in our lives. And so with that being said, Today, I want to move into this fourth section of I Love My Church, and I want to talk to you today about a church that grows, a church that grows. And we're going to talk about growth in a couple of different ways, growth spiritually as well as growth numerically. And so would you head over to Acts chapter 2, go to verse 42, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Those guys coming up and down the aisles will hand you one. It's our gift to you. Put your name in it. Head over to Acts chapter 2 with us this morning. Also, you'll notice up here on the screen that right at the bottom, there's a phone number. And if you have any questions, you can text your questions to that phone number and we'll, uh, we'll get back to you with an answer. Today, uh, we're doing communion at the end of the service, so we're probably not going to do a pastor Q&A. Uh, so just know that if you send in a question, it's probably going to come back to you in a text today. And so, uh, but we want to make sure that you're aware of that. Make sure you're sending those questions in because we love to fill those questions. So today as we talk about a church that grows, let me ask you, how does a church grow? Uh, let, me, let me just kind of share with you my thoughts from early on. 14 years ago when we launched this church, I moved into this pastoral role with a whole different mindset than what I have today. Uh, if you would have gone back in history 14 years ago and talked to Don back then, right when we were getting ready to launch the church, and you asked me the question, how do you make a church grow? This is what I would have told you. Well, you've got to really be active in the culture. You've got to be active in the community. You've got to be out there doing projects. You've got to be reaching people, and you've got to be putting on fun events. You've got to draw people in. You have to make the church attractive. And so uh, there, 14 years ago, we were doing a lot of that. We were like putting on events. We were doing all kinds of fun stuff, and we were inviting the whole community to come in and do it with us. And, and uh, several years into that, we started to look at what we were doing, and you know what we found out is that we weren't being very effective. 
We were feeling pretty good about ourselves, but we weren't effectively evangelizing anyone. And we definitely weren't discipling anyone. And, and we got to a place, and I'll be honest with you, about five years into it, six years into it, there was a question that got posed to me, and it just it wrecked me. It just kind of killed me as a pastor. And the question was this. Do you think Jesus would invite anybody to your church? I thought, no. No, because we're not doing what he called us to do. We started to reevaluate who we were and what we were doing. Why, why were we even a church? And what are we trying to accomplish here? What has God called us to accomplish? And in those early days, just as long as numbers were showing up, we were happy. And we found out that's not what we see in Scripture. And so we really started to evaluate what were we doing. Were we really pointing people to Jesus or not? And I have to tell you that with the church, as well as like global missions and, and your neighbor, we can, we can go extreme distances to meet needs. We can, we can put shoes on orphans. We can mow our neighbor's yard. We can do all of these different things. We can provide clean drinking water. And, you know, we can, we can pay for somebody's electrical bill. We can do all of these things and meet their physical needs. And by the way, uh, you'll never meet all the physical needs. We found that out because everybody has them. And there's too many. You just can't meet all of them. But let's say you could. Even if you could meet all of their physical needs, if you did that and you didn't even try to provide for their greatest need, their spiritual need, then you failed. And that's what we found out as a church. We were doing a lot of stuff, but we weren't meeting the spiritual need. And so let me ask you, how do you grow a church? How does a church grow? What, what are the factors that, that come into play when, when you start to grow a church? What, what makes it grow? Now, I hear people all the time, because we go to conferences and stuff, and as pastors, they'll put you around a table with other pastors, and you'll have these types of discussions. And I'll tell you, we get off track so fast. Because when we sit around, and especially as pastors talk, and, and we have these, uh, these spiritual conversations about church growth, uh, you'll hear stuff like, well, you know, God blesses some churches. And I struggle with that statement. Because if you say that the churches grow because God blesses it, then is the opposite true? Like if a church is, is plateaued or is declining, has God cursed that church? They don't think that's true either. Well, maybe it's because the Holy Spirit is with that church. So again, the opposite would have to be true. So a church that's declining, the Holy Spirit isn't there. They don't believe that's true either. So what makes a church grow? What is it? Is it possible that you can grow a church at least for a short, short amount of time through just human effort? I mean, could, is God actually involved in all the growth of a church? Or, or sometimes can a talented person step in and actually grow a church on their own, even without the help of God? See, I've seen that. You can have a charismatic person step in and start a church, and they can grow for a short while, and God doesn't even play a role in it. But I don't think that's sustainable. I doubt the growth would last for a year or decades. And I bet you can have a solar flare growth with a charismatic leader without God at all. But I don't think that's God honoring. And that's definitely not the church I would love or want to be a part of. So what grows a church? 
I believe there are three factors that have to come into play in growing a church that is healthy. I believe, and I want to share with you three factors that I believe that you need to be able to grow a church long term, to, to have it be sustainable, to be God-honoring, to have it to be authentic, spiritual, um, numerical growth within a church. I think you have to have three factors, and all three of these things are necessary. You can have two without one, but I don't think you're going to see it grow, and especially grow over a long period of time. And so let me share these with you. I'm going to tell you up front, the first two, you're probably going to be able to guess. The last one might surprise you just a little bit, so hang with me. Uh, the first factor that I think that you have to have for good, healthy, spiritual growth within the church is you have to, be biblical, you have, to have biblical integrity. You have to have biblical integrity. You have to be uh, based upon the rock. Takes us back to the first week, right? of being founded on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You have to be all about Jesus Christ. If you base the ministry or you base the church on anything other than Jesus Christ, it's going to fizzle and die out over a long term. To have healthy, sustainable growth, it's got to start with Jesus Christ and, and the Word of God. If people aren't being led into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ based on Scripture, then they're, they're not going to stick around for very long. Why? Because everything else is shaky ground. That's the foundation you can actually build something on is the word of God. Uh, I've heard it said that what you attract them with is what, keep, what you keep them with. And we found that out. Because in the early years, we did a lot of attractional stuff. We did a lot of events. And when we finally started feeling convicted by God that we needed to change some things, and we started to change course, guess what happened? Um, the events went away, and so did they. You have to focus on Jesus Christ. He has to be the focal point. He has to be the center of everything that you do. I love this story in Acts chapter 2 because we're given a very, very uh, beautiful picture of what the early Testament church, the New Testament church looked like. And we keep saying that we want to be a New Testament church. We need to pay attention to these things. If you take a look at this in verse 42, it says, all the believers devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? needs to be sold out, like everything is about this. You're committed to it. Everything else is secondary to this one thing. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. This is a picture of the early church, and they were voted, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Uh, kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus tells them, look, I want you to go. I want you to preach, I want you to baptize, and then I want you to teach them all that I've commanded you. So what are the apostles' teachings? The apostles are sharing with the early church exactly what Jesus had taught them. Those things are written down, they're put into, into to scripts, and then, then we put them together and canonize them, and, and it's given to us as the Word of God, as the Bible. It's the same thing that was taught in that early church is what we have in our hands today. And this is what we have to base our church on is the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. And if we do that, we'll have a foundation that won't shake, it won't change. It's not a moving target. It's something you can actually build a large structure on. And it stands the test of time. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture is the guide for life. It's the guide for a church. It's the guide for each of us in our individual walk. And so we need biblical integrity number one secondly we need to be culturally relevant so you can know the bible you can know it forward and backward you can know everything that it says but if you're speaking greek in an english-speaking world good luck with that they're not going to figure it out 
we got to be able to take it and give it to the world around us in a way that they understand it and we'll, we'll buy into it. If we're continuing in our, in our talk and our walk in such a way that it doesn't relate to the culture, then they're just going to walk on by. They're going to miss it altogether. If we're going to reach people that are far from God, we've got to learn how to be culturally relevant, to put it in terms that they understand. And that means musically, that means the language that we use. You know, how many times have you heard somebody call this room a sanctuary? People on the outside, they don't call it a sanctuary. They call it an auditorium or a gym. And the room right outside there, that, that's, that's a lobby. Why? Because everybody else would just call it a lobby. It's not a Northex or a fellowship hall. It's amazing how we can Christianize everything to a place where it's out of reach. And we make it, we make it to where it doesn't even relate to the culture around us anymore. Why should we be culturally relevant? You know why? Because Jesus was. He went out of his way to be culturally relevant. He put it in terms where they could understand it, and it made sense to them. Uh, turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Go to verse 30, uh, 32. One of the greatest examples of this, for me anyway, is, is this book. I, uh, I love collecting Bibles, and, and by the way, I did this before I was a pastor, all right, so don't go, you're a pastor, that's just weird. I did this before I was a pastor, I just thought it was kind of cool, the different translations, the different, uh, different languages, my, my sister travels the globe, I don't, but every time she goes into a different country where I don't have a Bible, I'm like, hey, can you get me one? She brings them back for me. Uh, this one's pretty cool, this is one of my favorite, it's just called The Jesus Book, and uh, if you don't know what this is, it's actually written in Hawaiian Pidgin. It's a Hawaiian dialect, and if you ever are in a bad mood and you just want to be in a good mood, you just pick this up and start reading it, because it's fabulous, and it's awesome. But it's a great example of what it means to take the Word of God and just make it relevant to the culture. And there's a whole thing on the back where people have written about how much this book meant to them. Oh, that's what that means. Like, they didn't get it until they put it in their dialect. If you're trying to teach the, the Hawaiians the Ten Commandments, you can't say, don't commit adultery, because that just goes way over their head. It doesn't mean anything to them. But if you say, don't go momo with your brother's wahini, now they get it, all right? It makes sense to them. Uh, some of you are like, what in the world did he just say? This, this is a great example of being culturally relevant, though, and we must be culturally re relevant. We have to pay attention to that. When you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to your neighbors and your family, are you putting it in terms that make sense to, sense to them? Are they getting it? Or are we happy not to be relevant? So I think we need to be broken for the world around us so much so that we're going to do anything that we can, short of sin, to share that with them in a way that they'll understand it. First uh, Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, talks about this uh, group of people from Issachar, and it says this, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives, all these men, look at this, understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. They were culturally relevant. They were aware of what was happening around them, and they knew what course to take. Do we know what course to take? Do we know how to present the gospel to the people around us? If not, we need to pay attention and wake up and start paying attention to how we present it. What's coming out of our mouths? How, how we respond to the people around us when they're telling us about their problems. We need to be culturally relevant. So biblical integrity, 
culturally relevant. And then this last one, like I said, might surprise you a little bit, but it'll make more sense as we go, especially over the next few weeks. Uh, we need structural agility, structural agility. And this might seem like an odd word to you, but let me explain it to you a little bit more detail because I think this is such a critical piece for us. Uh, I know a lot of pastors who I believe are, uh, they have biblical integrity, they're culturally relevant, they're doing the best they can to can re- relate to the, com- the community around them, their, their mission field, but their structure keeps them from growing at all. And what I mean by structural agility is I mean that when it comes to church structure, to the, to the processes that we have in place, to the leadership, to the elders and to the staff, we have to be able to change with the changing church. We got to be able to accommodate that type of growth. And and when it comes to the scope of ministry and and to growth and what God is doing, if we're not willing to change to accommodate that type of growth, it goes away. It dies off. Now, uh, turn over to Exodus chapter 18, because there's a great story I want to show you there that speaks to this. When we talk about structural agility, I think it it covers so many different areas. See, instinctively, we know that a church of 300 can't function the same way organizationally as a church of 100. It just can't. They're different churches. A, A church of 400 can't function the same way as a church of 900. And so as you grow, things have to say, say, I'm sorry, things have to change. They can't stay the same. And let me give you a quick example as it relates to me. When we launched the church, I had this passion of being that, that hands-on pastor. I was going to meet with everybody. I was going to know everybody's name. And as the church grew, you know what I found out? I can't do it. I tried. I tried to meet with everybody. It just wasn't happening. I was doing so much count. I was doing more counseling than I was doing message prep. It was unbelievable all the stuff that happened in those early days. And I found out very quickly that one person can't do it all. Like 90% of all the churches in America are 80 people or less. And do you know why? Because I believe the pastors are trying to do it all. And that's all the people they can handle. That's it. Any more than that, they lose it and the church just dies off after that. And so something has to change. It is impossible for a pastor, one pastor, to meet the needs of, of more than 80 people. I think 80 is a stretch. But it's impossible. There's just no way to do it. Moses found this out. In the second book of the whole Bible, we're given this instruction. Um, It's amazing to me that Moses sat down with all the people day in and day out. He was overseeing all the disputes. He was trying to make judgment calls for the the whole nation of Israel. And pretty soon, out of the blue, his father-in-law of all people, Jethro, shows up. And Jethro begins to witness what he's doing. And he takes his son-in-law off to the side. And he's like, are you crazy? Like, you can't do all this. He literally tells him, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to burn all the people out by doing this. You can't do it. And he gives him some of the most godly advice. Take a look at this, Exodus 18, verse 20. This is what Jethro tells Moses. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. Does that sound familiar? Teach them all that I've commanded you. Disciple them. Teach them how to live the life. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over the groups of 1,150 and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. It was simple advice. You can't do it all on your own. You need help. Go find some other people that will help you. 
And so often when we look at the church, we think it's the pastor's job to do everything. And I want to let you know, that's not biblical at all. And actually just the opposite. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you what, what God has told us our role is, all right? Biblically, when we take a look at the church, it's not the pastor's job to do all of the work. Biblically, instead of, of Moses meeting with all the people and doing all the work, what he should have done is he should have taught them how to care for one another. It should have been a care by the people, for the people type setup. Instead, it was Moses, take care of everything. You run everything. And that's not the way that God has designed it, nor is it the way he's designed the church today. The instruction that he gives us in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, it says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Now, this is very clear about what I'm supposed to be doing. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. Did you catch it? Like the pastor's not the one that does it. But yet so often it's the pastor that's doing it. And here's the problem with that. When you have a pastor that's doing all the work, guess who takes the blame when things don't go right? Guess who takes the glory when things are going right? And both are a problem. It's God's church, his body, he receives the glory. And so God has set it up in a way that the pastor's not the one that handles all that. It's the pastor's role to equip the body, I love this, to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. It's the people that build up the church. Do you realize that the rise and the fall of the church and how we go and how we grow depends upon each one of us? Have we reached anyone? Are we discipling someone? See, I used to think that we would grow numerically by doing events and reaching people, and then we could grow them up spiritually. You know what I'm realizing now? Is it's my job to grow us up spiritually, and when we do that, we'll grow numerically. Do you know why? Because a group of people that look like Christ shine bright in a dark area. People that are living out their life, that are, that are actually evangelizing and discipling the world around them, they're going to grow. They're going to grow. My focus is on you, to grow you up to push you from day hiker to backpacker to guide to Sherpa. That's my goal, to teach you how to live this life in such a way that you impact the world around you for eternity. That's my job. He goes on to say, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and acknowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part, listen, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is a picture of what we desire at Mountain View Fellowship. Every time I read this, I'm like, yes, that's the church that I love. That's the church I want to be a part of. But that's every one of us owning it. That's every one of us growing. You want to be a church that grows? Let me tell you how we're going to do it. 
This next series that we kick off, we're starting a brand new series. We're going to entitle it, Own It. And the reason we're calling it Own It is because we're going to teach you uh, the life of a disciple, and we're going to just challenge you to own it, to make it your life mission. We're going to challenge you to take it and make it your own and live it out every day. And, and through this series, what we're going to do is give you very, very practical ways on how you can live out the life that, that Christ has called you to live, how you can evangelize the people around you, how you can disciple people uh, in your life. And, and this is going to be our calling this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be equipping the saints for the work that God has for them. And we're going to challenge every one of you to step up and just own it, just to receive it. And I think you might be surprised how easy this is, how practical and easy it is when we just commit ourselves to doing it. When we make it the life focus, we devote ourselves to it. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.